today we're going to be taking a break uh, from the series in the book of John. Uh, we've been going through that. We've been kind of going through chapter 3. We'll get back into that, uh, I believe, next week. Um, but today I kind of wanted to take a step back from that um, based on something that Mercy Hill has been doing uh, as a whole across all three locations for the last 10 days. Uh, the elders kind of uh, felt led to provide a, a time and a space, and it happened primarily at the Bayview location because uh, we have that. It's one of the locations that we rent 24-7, uh, and so it's available to do those things. Uh, but it was to have uh, 10 days of tarrying, uh, really in the sense of beginning that on the day, uh, the calendar date where it recognizes Jesus being ascended into heaven, uh, and then they waited 10 days in the upper room praying and seeking the, uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and waiting for this promise that Jesus said would come uh, of the helper of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so they waited for those 10 days, not really knowing exactly how it would take place, what would happen on that day, and, and what it would necessarily mean for them. Uh, but just to have that humble uh, submission and waiting and desire to be used by God and however He uh, in his wisdom, had chose to lead them. And so that's kind of what we've been doing over the last 10 days as a church. Uh, we did it here last Sunday because we were able to use the location. Um, I was up there for a sum in Milwaukee, um, and it was great. We, there were 70, 80 people oftentimes at night uh, just spending some time in worship and, and just being quiet and listening to the Lord uh, and what He might have for us. And so uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, or that recognition of Pentecost 33 CE. Uh, and so I wanted to take a step out of John uh, in order to kind of take a look at that day, uh, what happened that day, and, and what, if anything, it means for us uh, as we continue on in our Christian walk here in 2021. So uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 2. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll start in verse 1, but then we're also going to head to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and 13 a little bit, uh, and we'll have the verses up on the screens as well. Um, but before we get into all of that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you, uh, and we are grateful for your holy word. We're thankful to be your church. Uh, we are glad that you have brought us together uh, in order to pursue you, uh, despite our imperfections, to be uh, bounded or binded together um, by your love, by your blood, uh, to go through this pursuit uh, of seeking to become more and more like you while we live on this earth, to encourage one another uh, as the day draws near. And so, Father, as we look at this passage uh, of the promised coming of the Helper uh, and what your plans for the church are, uh, I pray that you would help us to be submitted fully to your word, uh, to your will, and how you would guide us and lead us in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like we had mentioned uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, they're kind of sitting there. It would have been about 10 days after Jesus rose into heaven, uh, waiting there for 10 days, just kind of praying um, and not knowing because Jesus didn't say, well, this is what's going to happen. You know, you'll be sitting there and it'll take exactly 4.2 hours uh, of prayer and then you're going to hear it knock at the door and the next guy is going to walk in. 
Uh, like there, there was no description of what would happen. He just said, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power on high. Earlier, he had said, it's, it's better for you that I leave because if I do not go, then the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come. And so here they're sitting in this, uh, having seen Jesus die on the cross for our sins, uh, wondering what that meant. Three days later, Him being risen from the grave, spending 40-some days with him and then he ascends into heaven uh, and now they're just kind of waiting 10 days like what's going to happen next Uh, and so that's where we get into uh, verse 1 here in Acts chapter 2 it says when the day of Pentecost uh, arrived they were all together in one place I just want to pause there real quick, actually, because the the day of Pentecost was actually uh, something that was already established uh, within Jewish culture, and and that was a a day that was set aside to remember uh, the receiving of the Mosaic Covenant, of the the Mosaic Law. And and so it was something that they already were observing uh, and would have spent time together in order to recognize, okay, we've got the law, and and this is how we follow God. If, If we sin, this is how we go back into a right relationship with God is through this law and the sacrifices that were a part of that. Uh, And so the Jewish culture would have recognized this day of Pentecost um, as it's something of itself. But here on this day, something fundamentally changes and transforms. So the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Like, you ever imagine that moment? Like, like if we were just sitting here and all of a sudden, like, the, the wind would start, like, blowing the doors open and the windows out and the big curtains would be, like, flying 30 feet through the air and, and everything would be filled with that? Like, what would our reaction be? run right hold on to our hats like what's happening is there a a tornado outside Um, and then not only that we have this entire rushing wind uh, which again in the um, Greek here the word for wind is the same as the spirit um, which is pneuma so it fills the entire house in which they were sitting verse 3 divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them i would be kind of freaky <laughs> you have all this wind going on and, and then you see fire kind of up in the air uh, and it splits and, and begins to settle uh, upon each person and in that moment i got to guess that they're choosing to trust instead of running out the door. But God, is this what you promised for? Verse 4, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and said, They are filled with new wine. And so again, this event that's taking place, this significant moment in history of of the church and God's plan for the church uh, takes place in in a way that I don't know if any one of us, if we had never read this and understood that this is what happened within the church, that we would be comfortable in experiencing ourselves. That here this is, is happening and we begin to, to talk and different languages come out and people are hearing these things. And as they hear these different languages come out, they recognize uh, this uh, glorifying of God and who He is. There's this whole point of, of confusion that would be taking place and they're wondering exactly what does this mean. And, and everybody who's coming to uh, this birth of the church is is starting to say are these people crazy in fact uh, they're accused of having too much wine Uh, and peter responds and i forget to have this uh, up on the screen he says uh, men of judea and all who dwell in jerusalem this is in verse 14 of chapter 2 let this be known to you these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day so it's like 9 a.m and, and they just kind of had breakfast. Uh, and so he's like, they're not drunk, but something else is happening here. Verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So here Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, understands that this is a fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament, the book of Joel. And, and so he points to it and says, this is what's happening. This rushing wind, these flames of fire, the other language is, is what was prophesied in Joel. And he quotes it here in verse 17. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see dreams, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants, my female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Some of that description is what we see in Revelation, which also Revelation talks about the return of Christ or that the end of those days. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter goes on from there to to preach this sermon pointing to Jesus Christ as the Messiah as the promised one, as the Savior that would come. And and as he preaches that, some 2,000 people uh, respond to Christ in that moment, uh, find salvation, and here we have the birth of the church. This is the significance of Pentecost 33 CE. This promise coming of the Holy Spirit in order to equip the church. Uh, Could you imagine if that hadn't happened... 
Would 2,000 people be saved on that day? Imagine meeting there in the upper room. No wind, no fire, no speaking in other tongues and other languages. No people sitting there saying, what is going on? This is really, really weird. Uh, And then Peter just says, yeah, Jesus was the Messiah. But there was no crowd. And here through the work of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, uh, and everything that was happening was done in such a way in order to birth the church and equip it for the ministry to which it was called for. This arrival of the Holy Spirit would empower the church to be witnesses to the end of the world. And there's a few things that are interesting as far as a historical aspect in this. The first one we already covered about Pentecost being the, the receiving of the law. And so God in His infinite wisdom also then decides to say, here, here's the promised helper. Now the significance of this is, is the law was the way that man was to have relationship with God. It was through sacrifice. And it was through obedience that our standing with Him was established. If we were faithful and did everything right, then we were in good standing with God. And if we messed up, we could kill an animal to get back into good standing with God. That was the relationship that the nation of Israel had before Jesus came. That's what they recognized on Pentecost. But what God does is He changes this and shows the new aspect of His relationship with us. That it's no longer established by law and obedience and sacrifice, but rather through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there is a new intimate relationship with God where God indwells us and equips us and empowers us to do the work of the ministry. He chooses that day specifically in order, again, to mark a change, that something is different. When we went through our series in John, we saw the same thing with the miracle at Cana and the water that was turned into wine and the way that he did it where he used the purification filled them up and then didn't take the water out of that. Again, symbolizing this change, this way of purification is now different. There's a new source, a new way of living and serving with God. And so uh, it's a fundamental change that happens there that's not based on law, but relationship. The second thing that's happening uh, is that through this empowering work of the Holy Spirit, uh, God actually overcomes and in a sense uh, reverses some of the confusion that was created uh, at the Tower of Babel. And that's where everybody had one language together and they were building this tower to reach into heaven and God confuses that language at that point and from that there are multiple different languages took place. But now here through the equipping of the Holy Spirit, the, the gospel could be presented in a way that overcomes that difference so that people would be able to hear and know the glory of God and the path to salvation through Jesus Christ within their own language miraculously, without having to study, but in that moment and led by the Spirit. Both of these things show that the radically changed position or relationship that men and women have with God through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. That it's supposed to be something that's intimate. Where we no longer need to pay multiple sacrifices in order to have a right relationship with God, but that Jesus Himself paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have that relationship with Him. 
But the question is, is that this empowering work of the Holy Spirit, uh, is it for us today? Uh, And that's something that we've been working through as a church. Uh, But just here today, uh, looking at Pentecost and and really wrestling through that, uh, I think is just something good to either refresh us on or to really examine where we are with this. Because if we believe that it's true, it's for us today, then the question becomes, what do we do with it, even if we're uncomfortable with it? And so here we have the establishment in Pentecost of the Holy Spirit coming as promised in order to equip the newborn church to do the work of the ministry. But what point do these things end? And the closest thing that we have in Scripture to describing that end is in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 8. It says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And so we have this description in Scripture that there is a day coming when these gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit will no longer be. But when is it? Verse 9 continues on. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, now this word perfect in the Greek is teleos. Uh, It means full maturity. It means an absolute completion. So when this full maturity, this absolute completion, this perfect comes, the partial, meaning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this work of the Holy Spirit, uh, will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part, but then, meaning again, when the perfect comes, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so I think there's a couple things in this passage for us to look at as we're considering when does this end. Uh, The first one is, what does it mean when the perfect comes? And I think we connect that back to Ephesians chapter 4, and it talks about the church building itself up into full maturity, the very stature and fullness or teleos of Jesus Christ. And so the perfect coming would be when Jesus returns to finally wipe out sin, wickedness, death, and usher in his permanent kingdom. And if that's the case, then we're still living within this time period where God has chosen to use the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to equip us as a church to do the work of the ministry until Jesus comes back. I think within this passage, there's a a few other things here, or one other thing that kind of describes this a little bit more fully. Uh, In verse 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's this description about where we're living right now, our our understanding of God, of who Jesus Christ in full, uh, is somewhat dim. Who on earth has has known the fullness as face-to-face with God? I don't think anybody has. And so it's saying we, we understand dimly, like in a mirror, 
Now, you have to remember, this is not the type of mirrors that we would have in our bathroom right now where it looks like we're staring at each other face to face uh, and sometimes we don't want to in the morning. But the mirrors that they would have at that time was literally like metal that was kind of polished as best as it could to give you somewhat of a semblance. And that's what we kind of get with Jesus. We see His love. We see His mercy and grace, faithfulness, His zeal for worship. All these things we've been looking at in John. But can we say that we've actually seen Jesus face to face in fullness of who He is as God? It hasn't happened. It says that we know in part, but then we shall fully know even as we have been fully known. That idea of we grasp what we're able to grasp. But how fully does God know us? Every hair on our head is numbered according to Scripture. He takes care of us in all that we do. And so to the extent that God knows us, it says that we will be able to know as we've been fully known. I don't think anybody here would make a claim that we know fully. That we understand completely. And so that means that we are within this time where the equipping of the Holy Spirit is available until the coming return of Christ. For the purpose of building one another up. Ministering to one another. To be the body of Christ as the church. But the thing is, is, is that many today uh, hesitate or are uncomfortable with pursuing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think some of those reasons are we like to be in control. We like to have a, a sense of order about things. Like this will take place, and then this will take place, and then this will take place. And, and I'm comfortable with that because I know what's going to happen. I, we might be comfortable with, you know, if we could somehow coordinate, you know, wind blowing in and fire, if we knew it was coming ahead of time. But we hesitate to step into the unknown where God himself leads and leads us to areas that we're uncomfortable with. We look throughout the book of Acts, and he leads his disciples actually into physically dangerous situations where they were threatened with death. And so there can be a hesitation to step into these things uh, because we like to be in control. Or, or we like to uh, be able to explain everything. And sometimes what we do is we actually take uh, what we think is wise, what we think is right, uh, and press that in to what our idea of God is, uh, and we think that God wouldn't do anything that we wouldn't do or that we wouldn't think is right. We often forget that our relationship with God is supernatural. He spoke creation into existence. Let there be hummingbirds. And, and we've got these tiny little birds flying around our feeders now in the beauty of spring. We have a God who parted the Red Sea in order for Israel to walk across on dry land and then to close it back over the Egyptian army that was chasing after them. I mean, just imagine being an Israelite in that moment. You, you got this entire army of Egypt coming up behind you. They're going to kill you. And Moses now leads you to the edge of a sea and all you see is water and beach that way and water and beach this way. It would be an uncomfortable situation. But they were led there by a pillar of smoke or pillar of fire. 
And God's plan was to split the sea. No human would have thought, okay, that's what's going to happen. Even Moses, I'm guessing, as he has his staff, and God says, okay, put your staff out over. Okay. And then the sea splits. A supernatural, unexplainable event. In 2 Kings chapter 6, a guy loses his metal axe head in water. And God causes it to float so that he doesn't lose his axe head. We have a God who came to earth in order to die for those who rebelled against him. In order to rescue us despite our sins, despite our distance. He walked on water, multiplied fish and loaves, had authority over demons, healed the sick and the blind. Once, by spitting into the dirt and making mud and wiping it over somebody's eyes. People were raised from the dead. We follow a supernatural God who is unpredictable by our standards. And yet we still want to be comfortable. We still want to have a sense of control instead of trusting what God wants to do. God often calls us outside of our comfort zone. And as we talk about these various gifts that are meant to equip the church, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, speaking in tongues, these various things can be uncomfortable at times because they can be messy at times. And and we attempt to do them imperfectly at times. But yet in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, we're told to desire the greater gifts. Not just to acknowledge that they exist. That they're there. But we're actually commanded within Scripture to desire the greater gifts. This word desire is Strong's G2206, uh, zeleo, which means to burn with zeal. To be zealous in the pursuit of good. To desire earnestly. To pursue, to strive after. And so these gifts that are given to us are meant to equip the church to do what He's called us to do. And so as Christians, we're called not just to acknowledge their existence and to say, well, it's kind of cool when they happen to happen, but actually to eagerly desire these things for us to be able to use them. We struggle a little bit with this. Because, oh, do we really, really want to try and like attain these gifts to ourselves so that we're able to do... No, that's, that's danger of being prideful. Or it's a danger of getting a little bit into the crazy. And there's some people where that danger is a reality. Pride comes. You start pursuing experience for the sake of experience instead of glorifying God. And I think a number of us can point to different examples where we've seen that happen. And it's given this uh, charismatic gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, It gives us a bad taste in our mouth when we see people doing it out of their own power, out of their own wisdom, out of their own strength, and it not being God. 
But we can't let those experiences cause us to dismiss this instruction that we ought to desire these greater gifts. We may have grown up in situations, I, I did, where I you know, was taught that these gifts weren't even in existence anymore. And so then you start getting into that and understanding, well, maybe they are. And, and then you start seeing or hearing somebody speaking tongues or a, a prophecy of a sort, and it becomes uncomfortable because it's like, well, do these exist or they don't exist? I think it's clear in Scripture that they do exist until Jesus comes back and that we are to actually pursue them, to press into them, to learn about them so that we can endeavor, earnestly desire, pursue, and strive after operating within these gifts biblically, grounded in Scripture, as Christ died for us to be able to have until He came back. Pursuing after these gifts is not about us trying to get something different, uh, but rather to truly be what Christ died for us to be. He died to equip us to this. He said, it's better for me to leave. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit's not coming. And that is better. So again, as we pursue these things, it's not about trying to be something better or greater, but to actually truly walk in the identity that Christ died for us to be able to have. Now, it's obviously different for each person. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how the, the Spirit distributes each gift uh, as He pleases. And so it's not something that we necessarily can pick or choose as God distributes these things. But it is something that we are to pursue and pray for. Why? i got two things. First, what is our mission on earth? There's a purpose, a reason we're still here. And that's to represent Jesus Christ. If we don't have that mission, then it'd be smarter for God just to be like, okay, you believe in me, you trust in me, you're saved. Let's beam him up, Scotty, and you know, enjoy heaven. But yet in John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying for the church, he says, I do, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but I'm sending them into the world. And so we have a purpose and equipping to reflect Jesus Christ. Corinthians calls us His ambassadors. First Peter calls us a, a holy priesthood. We are the, the body of Christ. And now as we are millions strong around the world, millions equipped with the Spirit of God Himself to do the work of ministry. That's our mission. That's our purpose as sons and daughters of God. The second thing is to consider our adversary. Because Satan is in opposition to this. He's the roaring lion, the father of lies. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He blinds the eyes of unbelievers, works to deceive Christians in order to make us weak, and he wants to see how many he can take into destruction with him. And this is what God calls us to come against. To be more than conquerors. And there's no way that we can do it within our own strength. Which is why we're instructed to eagerly desire 
to be zealous in the pursuit of, to strive after the equipping of the Holy Spirit. So that as we go to work, as we are with our family, as we're at school, wherever we may go, we know that we walk and God is with us, but also equipping us and leading us. It's this pursuit that if we want to be the church that the gates of hell cannot prosper against, we have to desire and we have to press into. Now, as a church, we've been doing this. We've been been looking at this. We've been studying this and looking at what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And and we have our Spirit-led nights and the prayer team and, and all of these things. But again, I want to continually look at this and encourage us uh, because in Ephesians it says, as each part is working as it ought to, the body is built up in love towards the full completion of what Jesus Christ and that teleos, to that full maturity. And so it's just uh, an encouragement, uh, a desire. And honestly, this zealous striving after. I want to be a church where we pursue everything that God has for us. And if there's areas that we're uncomfortable and we don't let uncomfortability stop us because it's for us. And so we're faced with a choice. We can either uh, cause ourselves to be uncomfortable and and through that deny the gift that God gave to us uh, and in that allow Satan to cut us off at the knees or we can step into the fullness of what he died for us to have. Again, this is not about getting something different. This is not about pursuing a next-level Christianity. It's about us just being what we're supposed to be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the direction that you've given to us within Scripture. Uh, This new uh, relationship with you that you purchased with your own blood uh, and the equipping of the Holy Spirit uh, for us to do the work of ministry. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help us to eagerly desire to be zealous after the fullness of what you died to give us. That it would be anchored in love and so that we would be ministering to one another. We would not be seeking after it with pride. We would not be seeking after it to, um, to lord it over others or to even compare ourselves one to another. Uh, but rather, Lord, we would do it just to be what you died for us to be. And Lord, we thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go from here, I, right now, I just, I don't, I don't want to, I feel we just need to worship um, and listen a little bit. And so if you feel like you hear something from, from God over the next couple of verses, I'm going to be in the back, um, kind of back by the prayer team. Um, and let's just worship. Uh, let's have a, a sense of God. If you want to say something to us, speak to us. Uh, if you are feeling compelled to ask for prayer for a particular gift, I invite you to come back to the prayer team for that. Uh, But otherwise, let's just worship. Uh, It's what the disciples did. We don't know exactly what you want to do, God, and so we're just going to wait, and we're going to worship, and we're going to pray. So let's stand, let's worship, let's pray, um, and seek Him at the same time.
we, we sing this song, if you want to take a seat for a moment, I'd like to go back into the song a little bit, but it might be a few minutes. Um, this song is based on an aspect in Revelations, you know, where you have the, the elders kind of around the throne of God and, and all of the angels, uh, and they begin to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and, and they take off their crowns and they cast them at Jesus' feet, and it's this uh, beautiful picture of just this full submission to Him and what He has, what He wants, and what His plan is. And I mean, that's all we're trying to pursue in this. It's not for something different, but, it, but in that, that fullness. And uh, I had a few people come up to me and, and share some things. I'd like to ask Angie to come up and, and share what she did. Um, and, and just something to, to kind of consider this, this following of the Spirit. And again, not to necessarily uh, equate it to only the gifts, only prophecy, only tongues. Uh, but rather this relationship with the Helper, the Comforter, um, living in the way that God has called us to live with the Holy Spirit in this time. So So as soon as Joshua started his message and he said that Pentecost was that traditional celebration of the day that the law was given, it was like my, my mind was opened to this whole other idea that I had not ever seen before. I don't think I've ever heard that before. And um, it was so exciting to me to see that God, like Joshua had said, is doing, he's doing something so new. When he brought the Holy Spirit, which was, you know, like what we think of when we think of Pentecost, we think of the Holy Spirit coming, right? Like we don't think about the law, but God did that so purposely because of this whole idea that he was bringing, this whole truth. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Ellie and I were memorizing and meditating on Romans 8, 3 through 4, um, which says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of, human, or of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So when we were uh, memorizing this verse, we took some time to meditate on it. And I thought that I knew what the verse meant, so I really wasn't even going to ask God, um, you know, like, what, it, what does that mean? This, especially that, that sense of the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled. And so I asked him because I thought, well, you never know, maybe he'll show something new. And thank goodness I did because... He showed me something completely different than what I had thought. I thought when it said the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us, I thought it meant that we could live out all of the law, you know, that he had given to us, and, um, and that no one else could have done that before Christ. Well, you know, the rich young ruler had come to Jesus, and he said, yeah, I followed all of those laws. I followed all of those rules. Jesus never contradicted him. We don't know. Maybe there were people who followed all the laws, but that's not the heart of what the righteous requirement of the law is. Jesus said when he was asked, what is the great commandment in the law? In Matthew 22, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the, this is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law 
and the prophets. This is the righteous requirement of the law, to completely, utterly, with all of our lives, with all of our decisions, with all of our words, with all that we do, to love the Lord our God with everything in us. There is no way to do that without the Holy Spirit. Then in Romans 8, it continues after, you know, I read 3 and 4. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There are only two choices. You are either, you have your mind set on the flesh, or you have your mind set on the spirit. There are no, there's no compromise in this. We cannot please God if we are contented to live a Christian life where we know Jesus and we trusted in Jesus and we live a regular life. Either we have our mind set on the Holy Spirit and live through the Holy Spirit, or we have no righteousness, we have no ability to please God, we have no ability to really love God. And so if we are in a place of contentment with having an apathetic relationship with the Holy Spirit, we are not in a good place. If we're in a place where we have said, yeah, I, you know, I believe that the Holy Spirit, you know, is for today, that those gifts are for today, but I just don't really feel like he's for me, you know, like, or I really need to pursue that. We are not in a good place. It's not okay. You're not okay if you've been in that place. And I just, I know that that sounds like really strong language, but I feel so like God is just giving me this fire for our, our church body and for the church of our country that we need to really be praying that people will not be contented to live a lie which says, yeah, I trust in Jesus and I can just live how I want and that's okay because it isn't. Either your mind is set on the spirit or it is set on the flesh and there is only deception if you believe anything else. And so if you today have not gotten to a place where you are really seeking the Holy Spirit in your life, please don't leave here until you pray with somebody or that you have a private time of prayer with the Lord and ask him, invite him to be strongly in your life. If that's not, you know, something that you like, then ask for the desire for it. You know, start there. There's no condemnation. You know, that's what that whole chapter starts off as in Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You have that freedom. There's no condemnation. If you don't like that, if you don't desire it, ask him for the desire. That's the good God that we have. He gives good gifts to his children, and he wants that for you. So if you don't like it, you don't have that desire, don't let that stop you and keep you in shame. But instead, just let it be what drives you to God and ask him for it. All right, thank you. Even as she was, was sharing that in that sense of the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, and your whole strength. Um, I think sometimes we tend to separate out God as, well, there's the Father, and there's Jesus, and this Holy Spirit thing I'm kind of uncomfortable with. But this idea of, of loving God with everything 
means all of him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all together. And, and as Angie had said, you're in a not okay place or you're not receiving or loving the fullness of who God is if you're not pursuing all of him and what his plan is. Um, and so I think that's a good challenge. Uh, it's a challenge to, again, if it's something you struggle with um, or that you're uncomfortable with, God calls his people to be uncomfortable all the time because that's where we grow. Uh, and that, like she said, if it's something that you kind of desire, don't necessarily desire, then just pray for the desire because we're commanded to eagerly desire these things. Uh, and so, Father, we come before you as a church. We ask that you would move in our hearts and our minds and our lives to fully follow after you in all that you are and in all that you have asked and required us uh, to follow or commanded us to eagerly desire. Father, we do this not trying to manufacture anything, uh, but rather just to be that humble servant where we take our crowns, we throw them at your feet, and we say, we want your will, we want your desire, we want your plans, and all of it, not to pick and choose, but all of it. So guide us in doing this, Lord, in a healthy way that glorifies you uh, and does not make seeking an experience um, our goal. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm go back into that, that song in order to wrap up. Um, if, again, you are feeling that you um, want to have this deeper relationship with God as the Holy Spirit, uh, or if you are recognizing, like, I don't have that desire and I want to have that desire because Scripture says this is where we should go, uh, I invite you to go back to the prayer team uh, in order to um, just be prayed with for that. So, Otherwise, we'll go into the song and finish for this morning.
resonate in our spirit, in our memories as we walk through this week. That you would have your way, that you would shape us into the people that you would have us to be, to represent Jesus on this earth. We thank you for saving us from death. Giving us your spirit to empower us. Jesus' name. Amen.